Welcome, learners and learn-it alike, to help teach. Hello and welcome to our community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co-lead, Mihai Kovasser. I'm also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Hello and welcome back to Help Teach. I'm glad to have the audience back and to be back in the studio with one of my co-leads for this project. So I'd love to welcome to the show, Maggie Manning. Maggie, welcome back. Thank you, Mihai. I'm super excited to be back. So for our audience members that are maybe tuning in for the first time, if they like this episode and would like to come back and hear you, why don't you tell us where we heard you last? Yeah, so the last time I was on Just Myself was episode two, which is to PE or not to PE. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then uh, I was also on the group episode on episode six. So Maggie, since the last time we've talked, it's been a little while. I'm glad to have you back from episode two to episode 11. It's a bit of a jump there, but I'm glad to have you back in the studio. How have things been since we last talked? You know, things have been absolutely insane i've been super busy and just trying to get back on track really so you started school again this year i did i'm in my last year of didactic school and then i'm going into clinical uh, which is where i'll be working in the hospital for a year oh awesome okay and that's in uh, respiratory therapy correct it is yeah awesome yeah. awesome so in terms of events or something that have happened in the past while. Is there anything you want to mention to our audience, some events you've been a part of maybe that might be interesting for them to look forward to in the future? I'm totally giving the opportunity to plug yourself <laughs> if you'd like to take it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, so doing a lot of work with the Rick Hansen Foundation with an incredible co-lead with, I don't know who it could be, Mihai. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're making me blush. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we've had some incredible opportunities. Last year, we spoke at the Global Disability Summit. And now coming up, we're doing a webinar for International Day of Persons with Disability. Absolutely. Audience members, by the time this episode is coming out, the webinar will have passed. At this point, we are speaking to you from the past. So we are looking forward to it. But yes, if you'd like to tune into a recorded version of this webinar, then by all means, you can find it in the episode notes. And maybe some of you were actually there and were able to see it live. So thank you very much if you did tune in. 
you did mention another event that I'd love to get into to sort of kick off our conversation for today, because if we take things back in time, as you say, almost a full year now, we spoke, Maggie and I both, along with some of my other co-leads for this very project, at something called the Global Disability Summit. Speaking of webinars and opportunities to speak, that was a really great opportunity, I think. So why don't you just briefly introduce that for our guests, what it was about? Yeah, for sure. So at the Global Disability Summit, there was a panel of a bunch of youth and we tackled issues surrounding youth with disabilities specifically. So we shared our live experience. We shared uh, about the Rick Hansen Foundation. And this was a really great opportunity to bridge that gap of exposure of people with disabilities. Why don't you tell us a bit more about that? How was the summit good for exposure? Yeah, for sure. So what I'm speaking of in terms of exposure is disability in the media and in society in general. I think that it's an issue that a lot of different minorities are dealing with, getting attention and being able to share just the basics, you know, how disability affects life, what needs to be done, how we can target those goals is a huge deal. And so having a platform like the Global Disability Summit is almost as big as you can get. And so to be able to speak on a panel there was an incredible honor. Absolutely. You know, we speak a lot about advocacy on this show. And I think it's important to recognize that there are so many different ways, right, that we can be advocates, that anyone can be an advocate. Part of that is, as you say, just exposing the general populace to information that they might not otherwise have. I think it it really does help to change minds. That's the whole point of especially doing this show and sharing lived experiences, just to hear someone talk about their life, not only as a person with disability, but also as a person who's involved in society at every step of the way and someone you just see on the street, especially with invisible disabilities where you don't see that they may have obstacles. I think changing that mindset is difficult, but I think it really does make a difference. And that's what our webinars are going to be about, too. Yeah, it's such an important idea. And, you know, now that we have social media, there's a lot more visible exposure. You can go and search up accounts that do some advocacy work or certain individuals, but that really wasn't the case not even that long ago. I think that idea of kind of mentoring also comes into that, that being able to expose yourself to people with disabilities helps those who maybe are more isolated kind of understand that they're not alone. Yeah, and and being able to build community through, as you say, social media, I mean, that's one of the big selling points, right, of all these media networks and why they've become so popular is they link communities all over and we're one of them. You told me a bit of a story uh, while we were planning about exposure, a story of exposure from your own experience in sport that I thought was really interesting. I was wondering if you could maybe share that for our audience. Yeah, for sure. I think that probably... One of the biggest things in terms of exposure is the story of this little guy who I mentor. I mentor him mostly in sports and para sports because I swam at a pretty high level. And so I started getting asked to come and evaluate this little boy from my hometown who has a disability. And I was super excited because I was like, oh my gosh, another one. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to find para swimmers, especially in such a small community. So I was, immediately I was like, yes, I'm coming, first of all. <laughs> and so I did a little evaluation. And afterwards, I brought back the sledge for sledge hockey or para ice hockey. And I told him like, if you want to go out this weekend, because I ended up staying at my parents for the weekend. And I said, why don't we go out? Give it a try. And I think that was one of the best moments for me because 
he got out on the ice and his family came and that was the first time that they were able to do that kind of activity all together which was something super special you could just see it wasn't even that he loved the sport it was just he loved being out there with everybody and not having a barrier to participation Mm -hmm. so the whole family got out on the ice and they got to skate and sledge together yeah and i mean some of them were at the boards but just like supporting him and at all Mm -hmm. which is so great to see and I remember him telling me just being like I could never keep up with people and and now I can and I remember that feeling firsthand and so to hear that from somebody else is just it's heartwarming oh absolutely I think being someone not only with a disability who maybe doesn't know all of the opportunities that are out there or doesn't for example have access to someone like you to mentor them or to guide them into those activities aside from that when we're talking about exposure It's also people without lived experience, I think, that can face some of these barriers to accessibility to our world, which is a funny, kind of ironic thing to say that uh, people without a disability have accessibility issues into our world, but I think it's true in some ways. And a lot of people can face frustration getting into disability advocacy if they don't have those mentors and that experience around them. That is exactly the topic I want to get into next. Just before we get there, don't go anywhere, audience members. We're going to take a quick break, after which we'll come back, and I will speak with Maggie Manning on exactly this issue of trying to enter advocacy as someone without lived experience. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Help Teach. I'm here today with Maggie Manning, who's back on the show, and we were just getting into this subject of entering the world of advocacy or of exposure to disability without lived experience or without having a disability yourself, which can be quite a frustrating experience for some people. I wonder, maybe Maggie, do you want to talk to that and to the story that you told me on that subject? Yeah, I would love to share my experiences This kind of goes back to the Global Disability Summit that we were speaking about. I have a great support network around me, my friends and family, and they all want to support me in that. And so they all attended, which was super incredible to have them all there. But afterwards, there was some frustration. And I have a great roommate. She's a great friend and she supports me in everything. She also wanted to support me in becoming an advocate. And so she took that information that she learned at the Global Disability Summit. A lot of the stuff we talked about was very large goals, and she really wanted to implement them just like we do. And she found it very frustrating. She found it hard, and she came to me almost not that long ago. So probably like eight months after, she said, I am so frustrated. And I, you know, I didn't know what to say because I was like, well, why? And she looks at me, she's like, I'm trying to do these things that you've recommended. I'm trying to ask questions. I'm trying to push barriers. You know, if there's a survey, I always make sure they have something about accessibility, those type of things. She said, it's just so looked over. It's always missed. I find that frustrating, obviously. And it's just to hear it again from somebody who's just starting their kind of advocacy work to see that there's still that kind of frustration is, well, it's sad, but ultimately we're all going to work together to break those barriers down. Right. And 
it's something that you told me before, and I think it's absolutely true that as people who have worked in advocacy for a number of years, you almost get used to it, right? As unfortunate as it is to say, these obstacles, they will come time and again, and you just kind of learn to take from those experiences lessons that you then implement to further your work. I think back to elementary school when I was in the fourth grade. I think I've told the story on the show maybe twice already, but the the fourth grade gym class story that I tell everywhere. And it's not to beat a dead horse, but it's to say that that kind of experience at a very young age, it can be very scarring. And that frustration for some people sticks. And that's the unfortunate part. Not everyone has the opportunity or gains the knowledge to be able to move past the frustration into the world of advocacy, which is, I think, what makes it so hard to access for some. Totally. I mean, when she first came to me, I was like, well, is it me? Like, did I make these goals too big or am I talking beyond what is possible? But ultimately, it's it's not. It's just something that we deal with so often that we've become attuned to it. We're just so used to it. And so to hear that from somebody outside, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's not right. We need to change that. You know, <laughs> it was pretty eye-opening. And to be able to have such great friends and family that they want to support me in my advocacy and they want to help advocate not only for me, but also of people with disabilities in general. I mean, it's an honor because those are real true friends. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of this whole concept of community building that I think we talk about quite a bit. There are differing opinions on this in the community of people with disabilities on how much that community does or should have an impact on one's life or one's identity. I think mm-hmm. we've heard discussions from a variety of people, even between you and I or, or friends of ours, that have differing opinions on this, where some people are very proud of this identity and, and of the community that they can build. And some people, and I think I'm in this latter camp, desire more to generate a larger community between people without disability and people with disability. But each method comes with its own challenges. For someone like me, I mean, I would be perfectly happy to be able to enter my workplace or my school or what, what have you and just have my disability be a non-issue. For me to be able to access every building and every built environment in such a way that I can just walk in and participate like anybody else. But for some people, it's more important to forge that strong community with others with similar experience and to have that identity stay strongly with you. Those opinions are are different, I think, across the community. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think that's such an interesting conversation to have because for me, I'm kind of in the first group where I really strongly identify as a person with a disability. And that time with other people with disabilities is really valued to me. Ultimately, yes, I'm like in this awkward place where I want the best of both worlds, you know, like I want to have my identity in my community. But I also, on the other hand, just like you, I want to be able to walk in wherever. And when I'm getting hired, I don't want to have to be like, oh, I'm going to need a stool. Like I can't stand for that long, you know, but there's just this balance. And I think that that's where that advocacy work kind of fits in is bridging the gap between both of those worlds. You're right. And I think speaking of those frustrations, There's this question that arises as to who is allowed to have what conversations. 
And this is a frustrating issue to me because I make this distinction between discourse and debate, where discourse, you try to find the best of what your interlocutor is saying, the person you're speaking to, you find the best parts of what they are talking about help to strengthen them. And then if you disagree, you bring your own arguments against it, but it's, it's constructive, whereas debate can be very destructive. And it frustrates me that there are opinions, strong opinions sometimes in the disability community or in any community that's tight knit where somehow if you're not part of it, you're not allowed to take part in those conversations or you're not allowed to help advocate because somehow you're undermining the goal. That's always frustrated me because it seems ridiculous that you should be unable to share ideas. And even if there's something in those ideas that maybe is biased or prejudiced or there's something that someone would recommend you change, how are you going to find out unless you're sharing it? So anyway, that's something that I've thought about a lot. And at events like the Disability Summit or like the webinars or anything else, it's great to talk to other people with similar experience and bring that knowledge forward. That is definitely one key piece for sharing information. But inviting people into our conversations with us, I think, is is really important too. Yeah, you're totally right. And you know, Mihai, this is something that also we discussed with my roommate is she was so frustrated because, you know, we do these webinars and I'm always preaching, like, just ask. I'd rather you would ask about my disability than assume mm. because it's so easy to see someone in a wheelchair and be like, well, I assume they're paralyzed because X, Y, Z. But you don't know. I know for me personally, as a person with a disability, when you see me walking around, whether it be with a brace or with crutches, I'd rather when a little kid points me out, I'd rather their parent just say, why don't you ask her? And so then I can give them a proper answer and explain it because seeing people with disabilities in the community is an important part of realizing that, hey, people have differences and that's okay. And here's how we're going to move forward and uh, make the world more accessible and inclusive. My roommate was super frustrated because I'm an advocate. I am always pushing for accessibility and inclusion, but I'm not perfect nobody's perfect. And I think that there was this one instance that she brought up where she, we were at wheelchair basketball. I brought her along because often parasport, here's a little parasport plug. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be disabled. Honestly, in communities, the majority are able-bodied who are playing. And so I brought her to wheelchair basketball and she she did exactly what I said. She asked the people, she was like, hey, like, what's your disability? And I got all squeamish and there was no reason for me to. This is why I'm not perfect. I was like, oh my gosh, like she's asking people things like, I feel so uncomfortable. Um, and I told her, I was like, maybe like maybe not right now, but that that was me getting caught up in the best of both worlds. I want people to ask, right? And I advocate about that all the time. And I'm like, just ask, just ask. But then at the same time, somebody asked and I was like, oh my gosh, like somebody actually did it. And I was so taken aback that I didn't know what to do. And I felt like, like at wheelchair basketball, it's like, oh, we're all on the court. We're all equal. So like probably not the best time. And then I, re I caught myself telling her that. And I was like, that makes no sense. <laughs> like I, all the time I'm like, just ask. And then she asks and I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah. we're not perfect. And I think that's something as advocates, it's really important to realize. Yeah, no, absolutely. And these are experiential journeys that we are still on. It can be really tough to at once believe that something is the right course of action. And then when you grew up in an environment where that was so frowned upon or if for some for for whatever reason that that idea came to mind that that's uncomfortable to you it's tough to break through that sometimes but that's exactly why we do what we do or at least why i do what i do and that's to 
encourage everyone who has thoughts on the matter to be free to voice those opinions, to be willing to ask, and it's a process that will refine over and over because then it comes down to individuals, right? As we say, maybe some people are more comfortable with it, maybe some less, and that's okay too. It's like anything else. If someone breaks their arm and comes to school in a cast and they don't want to be asked about it, they don't want to be asked about it. It's not all that different, but mm. that's that's exactly why I think outreach and exposure as we open the show with that subject are so valuable to the process of learning. Ultimately, I think that's really where advocacy work is moving towards. With time, things start to change and even challenging our own experiences, like me feeling uncomfortable in that situation. Was there a reason when I'm preaching that you should ask everybody? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable. But that's just how it's been. And then all of a sudden, it's not like that anymore. And mm -hmm. I was so taken aback. And so that was a special moment because I was like, wow, look at how far we've come that that's just something that's okay now, you know? Mm, absolutely. I think that takes us really well to our key takeaway for this episode. What we want to offer to the audience is this idea that if you try to engage with some kind of outreach event, some deliberate opportunity that someone has put out into your community to share their experience or to invite you to share your ideas, engaging with those as often as possible really does help to start building an environment of thought, not only of action, but also a mindset environment that is so beneficial to our work as advocates. For example, you could try to go to something that someone puts on even once every other month. Trust me, you'll find them. For example, the webinar that we put on with the Rickenson Foundation School Program, those happen all the time, not only in Canada or North America, but all around the world. And from that, you can begin to understand the messages that different advocates are trying to share. And you may find conflicting opinions, as we've talked about on this episode today, but that's all about deciding for yourself what you would like to support and what steps you think might be most important to helping this journey. To speak to that frustration of your roommates with large goals and seeing monolithic structures almost that we're trying to change, making small, achievable, smart goals works just as well for advocacy as anything else. I mean, that's why I give key takeaways. That's why we do what we do, because those little changes that you can start to make can make you really feel like you have the power to make change. And I think that's what's really important in the community. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Maggie, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today, and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime soon. Thank you, Mihai. I love what you're doing here. So I'm honored to be on another episode. You've just heard another episode of the Community Audio Project, Help Teach. I'd love to give a huge thank you to my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, Maggie Manning, Elise Doucette, and Alexis Holmgren, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community mentor for this project, Charles Fitzia. My name is Mihai Kovasser. I am your host, editor, and producer for this podcast series. You can now find all our transcripts, episode notes, and links to other resources on Transistor.fm or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about the show, if you'd like to offer suggestions or you would like to be connected as a guest, you can now get in touch at helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. That's helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. 
please send in any questions that you might have regarding our episodes and we would love to address them in future ones. Tune in next time for more great conversations and key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.